Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for episode number 107 on the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And we're so glad to have you with us today. And um, a couple things I want to do before we dive into our uh, topic for today. Mike, do you, uh, Michael, do you want to give us just a little shout out to our friends up at the Center Place of Hope? You said you were just with Greg Jantz the other day. And uh, tell us a little bit about them. They help sponsor our podcast. Yeah, the Center of Place of Hope there in Edmonds, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle. Um, but they take people from all over the world. People come in, uh, you know, they have, for instance, six week programs. Uh, they help people with depression, anxiety. Uh, uh, substance abuse, uh, addiction issues—they're really—they're um, really great. They have a very high success rate, and um, and it's uh, placeofhope.com, and of course it's on wonderofparenting.com too. And Greg himself—we uh, had lunch the other day, and he's just you know such a smart person and and uh, so wise and really a loving guy. Great, he is. great people there. Yep, and he's, he's got a great sense of humor, and and they're and and they've been a highly rated uh, clinic for a number of years up there. So uh, if you ever need anything uh, in terms of uh, emotional well being, uh, eating disorders, anything like that, they're they're there to help. Uh, the other thing that we want to mention is coming up in just a few weeks now, we are doing a Helping Boys Thrive Summit, a Telus Summit, where you can be a part of the event live for the day, or if you can't join us live, uh, but you do pay the registration, we will have the live uh, recordings available for you for seven days. And Michael, what are some of the things that people are going to learn from Helping Boys Thrive Summit? Yeah, we're, we have four speakers, you, myself, uh, Eva Dwight, and Marion Hill, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be working in I'll be showing brain scans and doing a lot of work helping people understand the minds of boys. And um, every time I do this talk, I always add new things. I mean, I'm always learning new things from the research. Um, uh, and, and then we'll, of course, get into issues that are facing boys these days. And I'm going to talk in my talk. I'll, I'll give strategies related to schooling and online schooling because a lot of uh, kids are going to be in online schooling. And then Eva, who is going to do the strategy session completely on education, she'll go even deeper into that, educating boys. And Marion is going to talk about boys of color, helping boys of color. Um, and then, of course, you. And what are you going to talk about? Uh, I'm just going to sort of be the, <laughs> the last guy, and I'm going to wrap it all up and just talk about uh, a vision for our boys and, and uh, take everything we've talked about that day and say, let's roll up our sleeves and get at it for our sons. So if you work with boys, if you're raising boys, if you're grandparenting boys, you teach boys, uh, you'll want to be a part of this. And uh, just go to helpingboysthrive.org, helpingboysthrive.org, and there's a link to the Telesummit. 
and it's really reasonably priced thanks to our sponsor, and uh, it's going to be something you want to be a part of. So uh, helpingboysthrive.org. Now, we've got a great question today, and I part of the reason why I was drawn to this question was because I've had the same issues with uh, some of my grandkids. So I am uh, have a vested interest in this question. And this actually came off of our Facebook page. We have a Wonder of Parenting group on Facebook that you can join. And normally, uh, parents get on there and they just start, they just share their questions with each other and go back and forth. And this was one of them. But it was such an intriguing question for me. And it has uh, to, a lot to do with what's happening in COVID right now. Uh, and uh, so I thought w- we would pick this up. And so what we have here is a question. And then uh, I don't have all the give and take, just the response of the the mom who wrote this so that she digs a little deeper in what's going on. And uh, so let me read the, the question, and there's a lot of good stuff here. How do we talk to young kids, and here she says four, about death and dying when they haven't personally experienced it? With all this COVID stuff, my son hears the word died a lot. He seems curious about this word and knows it's something bad that we don't want to have happen. But I feel like he's asking for more, and I'm not sure what to say about it. For some crazy reason, I can't think of anyone my son knows who has died. Uh, he did see a bird die once, and we talked, and he talked about it for weeks. He still talks about it occasionally. We lost a cat once, but we're pretty sure she just ditched us for some local feral <laughs> cat gang. <laughs> we didn't even, we don't even kill bugs in the house. We see a spider in the house and examine the spider, and if it's really big, we catch it and put it outside. He does seem obsessed with dark themes. I think it's because they aren't as easily explained as dinosaurs or sports or sea life that other kids seem to be obsessed about. He likes ghost stories or mysteries. He likes zombies, which is like weird to me because my family isn't really into that stuff. We joke that he's the next Stephen King since he loves telling stories too, and they almost always have a dark turn. Uh, I'm curious about this, Michael, because my youngest grandson is really into zombies. And every picture he draws has blood and guts on it and, uh, you know, knives cutting across necks. And at times you think, okay, is this boy stuff? Is this normal growing up stuff? And then my youngest granddaughter uh, has increasingly, in this COVID lockdown, been dealing with fears. Uh, She won't go down the hallway by herself, doesn't like to be in a dark room by herself. So I'm guessing that these things are, are uh, probably not atypical, uh, this listener's question, what we're experiencing with our grandkids, especially in these lockdown days. So uh, the, the floor is yours. We're all waiting with bated mm. breath to hear all the answers we need to help on our kids during these days. Just a small expectation there. Um, well, I hear, I hear in a way three different themes. I hear yes. the anxiety that you're, you know, that you're referring to especially during a crisis time that that growing anxiety among so many children I want to talk about that and then the then there's the death itself and and a 4-year-old and what's developmentally you know what works for a 4-year-old and then there's the gory pictures and the Stephen King right i mean it's like it's almost like there are three themes and yes uh in terms of the de- death and dying for a 4-year-old uh you know their their brains are are developing um uh, but the easiest way to probably deal with that at that age is is just to sort of rely if people have a religion or a spirituality, you know, to re- rely on saying so and so went to heaven. You know, that's that's sort of the easiest. Um, it's not going to harm the four year old, uh, and it's not going to 
It's not going to give him a lot of depth, but at that age, something simple is 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 best. Um, or I'm not going to say best. I'm going to say easiest. If people want to go deeper, like if this mom wants to go deeper, then uh, using examples is a good way to go. And and she instinctively, she's really smart. She instinctively wanted to do that by trying to find someone who had died. And then she said, oh, we don't know anyone who died. So, uh, you know, if she wants to go deeper, then it's going to be about, about finding those ancestors and relatives and those people who died and talking about them and talking about what that means. Um, and then it's going to probably end up something with going to heaven or, or whatever is their belief. Um, but that's the way to go deeper is to actually use people um, uh, because it's abstract. For a four-year-old, that's pretty abstract. Um, in terms of the spiders, another way to get at it is, is insects and animals that die. You know, that's definitely a way to get at it. And um, I mean, I think it would be almost be interesting if they allowed a spider to be killed you know in other words so the child saw or a mosquito or something so the child saw that you know and just go okay so now that that is dead and we you know uh, here, here's what we believe maybe they believe that the insect has a soul maybe they believe the insect does not humans have a soul do not you know but that's a way to talk about it all and to talk about the soul and dying how the soul continues or whatever is that belief it's going to be done best for four years old with something that is experiential and that is obvious and that's concrete uh so persons or or uh animals or insects in terms of the um the gory stuff so i'm going to do the anxiety last in terms of the gory stuff um that you know it could well be that this child has a brain that is already set up to uh, have a lot of imagination and storytelling and and we they're going to know that later. I mean, they're going to know that, you know, by seven or eight, because uh, this trend will continue or it won't, or this is a phase. Um, but if the this trend continues, then that's going to maybe be an asset for this kid, uh, his ability to do this. Maybe he draws comic books later. Maybe he, you know, you never know, uh, but he, he has a good imagination and having that good imagination is really good for the development of a child because it means his brain is constantly trying things out you know and of course some of the things he ends up with is the gory stuff he has seen that somewhere or uh you know maybe off tv or somewhere and he's seen that and that's kind of exciting and gets his juices up you know um <clears throat> doesn't mean he's going to go kill people or anything like that it just gets his juices up and it's interesting to him and as as he's trying to maybe figure out death she's right i think that that could be going in there and the zombies are, are interesting because a zombie is an imaginatively, <clears throat> excuse me, imaginatively experiential um, icon or or uh, element that they can use. They can say, well, that's what death is. The zombie is the person who died, and then was reborn, and they can, you know, work with that. His brain's already, I think, trying to do stuff with that. Um, and then in terms of the, well, I'll stop there and see if there's anything you want me to pursue and then go to the anxiety what do you think? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. Again, I I don't want to make this about my grandkids, but uh, both of my uh, grandkids' families lost a pet. Uh, both of them a dog, and um, uh, it was now these these kids were pretty small when when it happened. How old were they? Uh, and um, so you know uh, this happened a few years ago, uh, and uh, so all of them would have been you know grade school or younger preschool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been interesting to me how um, they'll hang on to it and, and keep referring to Buddy or to Billy, which are the dog's names, and how they died. And uh, they'll, they'll even still uh, sometimes light candles in church to pray for them. Uh, and um, uh, and I, you, you, you'll hear them talk about it, and then we'll say, uh, you know, like, um, you know, Grandpa, where's your dad? Well, my dad died, like Buddy or like Billy. Mm-hmm. Which which helps give some parameters to it, mm-hmm. but uh, at what point, as parents or grandparents, do you start to think, all right, they're they're hanging on to this a little long? Uh, should we be concerned, or is this just normal? Well, it, uh, the concern would come if it's in some way paralyzing them or um, leading to anxiety, depression. You know, then then. I think we would say, okay, hanging on too long, we have to deal with that. But if it's if they light a candle once in a while, and there isn't, they're not, you know, anxious or depressed because of that death, then the the thinking back to that pet who was their attachment, they had such a close attachment to that pet, and then they lost that attachment, um, and them thinking back on that is is them processing attachment and abandonment and and um, and death, and that's that's good processing for a child. So unless it leads to anxiety or depression or something we were worried about, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it much. Uh, no, is it leading to something you're not liking? Well, no. I'm. I think it's just that they talk about it so much. And of course, I I did not have that experience when I was a kid. I didn't have pets. So you know, the first time I lost somebody of significance in my life. Uh, I was in grade school, but it was a great uncle, and uh, I was I was able to process about by that time what was going on. But it was someone who was known to me, but not necessarily really close. So I had some distance to be able to process. And I'm guessing that for kids who lose a pet that they're really attached to, there's not a lot of distance. So it probably is a little bit of work for them to process what happened to my pet. Pet was always there. Pet's gone. Um, is that going to happen to mommy and daddy and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things? Yeah, that's that 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 brain is processing that. There's no doubt that was a close attachment. Um, well, and you brought up a kind of a larger 
culture question, I think, on this too. Yep. Stepping stepping away from your your grandkids or or um, this writer, because I don't want to impose anything on any of these kids. Uh, but at a larger cultural scale, I think that America, um, you know, we don't raise our kids with much death, and um, we really ought to, in the sense that we ought to be exposing them um, more to to old people and to dying people, you know, because that is part of the cycle of life. And we've insulated our kids quite a bit from that. And um, um, I mean, not only do our kids not spend a lot of time with very old people, um, but they don't spend a lot of time with people dying. And I'll, I'll even hear parents say, well, you know, I have to go to this funeral. I'm not going to take my kids because I want to protect my kids. And and, I, and unless the child obviously is very anxious or has has something going on, mental health wise, you know, I'm always saying, no, I, I think you really ought to take kids to funerals and um, uh, because it doesn't do us any good to deny death. Don't think it's good for the development of any human being. And um, it leads to, it, I mean, it just leads to all sorts of issues later, you know, for adults with the denial of death, all sorts mm -hmm. of larger questions that, that even in the COVID time we have to be thinking about, you know, right. what is our attitude toward death and and a, and a human life and all of that. And I, I, I think overprotecting our kids from death and dying when their children is actually not healthy, though I understand people's urge. So that's more a larger culture. Sure. So let me stay with that just a moment. I'm, I'm thinking about how, and I, I agree with you. We, we, we don't, um, we, we really try to push death away as much as possible. Yeah. And yet our kids tend to be immersed in it in video games or in some of the shows that they watch, which is a different way of dealing with death. How, how does that impact our kids, do you think? Well, video games and fantasy violence isn't really death for them. Just like the zombies, you know, right. I'm trying to get her to this mom, you know, to use it. Maybe that's a way in. But for, for, for kids, it doesn't, um, it's fantasy violence. Now for even this four-year-old, and by the way, I, I don't, I, you know, I would rather this four-year-old was, was not seeing zombies on TV. I mean, I, I think too young. Mm -hmm. um, for all sorts of neural reasons, but, um, but he's picking it up somewhere and, and he's not, um, you know, he's not really computing that, that that's a real death, uh, as opposed to his dog or his mom dying. It's right. It's different because it's okay. fantasy violence in his brain. But that said, you're right that if kid is watching two, three hours of TV, video games, et cetera, per day, then, then you start saying, oh, well, I wonder if, if he's getting desensitized or she's getting desensitized and the desensitizing is really uh, an empathy. It's, it's, it leads to a lack of empathy. Um, uh, that's the worry about, about desensitizing mm. kids. Mm. You know, they just are less empathic um, down the line and that could transfer to being less empathic about someone dying, but it's more generally we worry that they're going to be less empathic. Got it. Okay. So good. Let's get back to uh, your, I think you had a third point about the anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. And that, and it's so great you brought that up. And, and for, for a lot of listeners that right now, that's going to have to do with death and COVID deaths, but, but also it may not. I mean, there's just a generalized anxiety in families that's transferring into kids. And uh, in this COVID era, in, a, in any crisis era, it happens during war times, it happens during depression. And so they pick up, you know, they are so sensitive, they pick up um, 
the anxieties and all of the issues that everyone around them are feeling and they feel them themselves they absorb them and feel it themselves and then some are more sensitive than others some kids and so one part like perhaps one of your your grandkids it has a more you know sort of more sensitive on this on the spectrum uh, of temperament and then even more you know feels it even more and so it, it could be about there are people dying and that makes me anxious and that might be me but I have a feeling right now, or I'm not going to say but, and I have a feeling right now that the anxiety um, that kids are experiencing is picking it up via osmosis and from, from all of us, right? From all the adults who are anxious. Um, and really in terms of what to do, one thing that, ha that we have to do is we have to keep these, keep our kids away from all the anxiety and fear producing media, both social media and, um, you know, and visual TV because that's where a lot of anxiety is coming from so that's one thing we can do to turn a lot of that stuff off hmm. and um not give them access to that and hopefully if they're 13 or younger uh they don't have smartphones yes so yet so that means you know not going to have much access there and and keep them away from that stuff and uh then then at the same time look at how we transfer our anxiety as adults onto them and like a clue is, is, is COVID or COVID response all we talk about at dinner time? Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just like almost metaphorical. And sometimes my wife, Gail, and I will go, okay, we just spent all our dinner talking about that. Yeah. Well, all that does is produce anxiety and our kids are sitting at dinner, right? With us and they're, then they become anxious. So we are, we probably to protect our kids, we are going to have to talk about other things, do other things, go outdoors with them. Uh, of course, it's very hot where you are in Phoenix, but for mm. people who can go outdoors, um, go on hikes, you know, play games uh, around the dinner table, play games, you know, do other things so that we are not focused on being the COVID anxiety. And we have to remember that a lot of anxiety comes from powerlessness. Yes. And uh, as we feel powerless as adults, which just about every individual adult right now feels powerless, right? Because we don't control anything. And um, as we feel powerless, they feel powerless and that's part of the anxiety. So those two protectants, I think can help the kids keep them away from all the bad stuff. And then um, just work on not transferring as much to them by talking about other things and by playing games and doing other things that are of interest and that, you know, are more healing for the soul. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What role do these dark themes play in the imagination of kids, boys, um, I know that sometimes in schools, uh, with writing assignments, boys will write things that are a bit darker, and there's a zero tolerance for that. And yet, those those dark themes and those kinds of stories do play a can play a role in the lives of our kids. So, uh, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. And as you know, I mean, we're every school that we're in that we work in, we're always saying to them, and they're and the teachers themselves are very wise, and they're saying, yeah, we got to allow more dark themes. We can't have zero tolerance 
uh, only if it if it's a threat to someone else or if someone just hung this other kid and it's a form of bullying or whatever, you know, then we then the teacher is going to say, okay, you know, we got to come down on that. But generally, I think I think we're recognizing again that the male imagination is is a little different than the female imagination, you know. And everyone knows this if they observe kids, they see that males, um, boys in general, will tend more toward these dark themes. And I, my belief is, I, I, you know, I don't think there's any researcher who has, who has proven, you know, what it is. We know the biochemistry of it. We know it starts in testosterone and the way the male brain works and all of that. My theory as to why it exists more in males than females beyond the chemistry differences is that I think boys are developing their conscience and their good and evil through this stuff. I think that they are, um, uh, I, I think it's, Hard, myself, I think it's probably hardwired that it's coming in on the genes, comes in with testosterone, I think comes in with male brain that that they are the, that brain assumes a battle between good and evil and that the conscience has to develop and the, you know this boy has to become good and and he is battling evil, you know he's good battling evil. When he gets into these things, even though, like in video games, etc., even though sometimes what he draws is the evil side, you know. But like Stephen King is a great example. This person wrote about Stephen King. You, Stephen King writes about in his memoir that he had this really dark imagination, all that. But he, but he wasn't a bad person, right? He he just had this imagination, and then as he started writing this as an adult, as he started writing these books, it was very clear that good was gonna win out. Right. right. It, yep. Evil was not going to win out. Every once in a while, someone glorifies an evil person. Uh, yes. But but if one reads Stephen King, we see that that good wins out or good is persevering. Like in the stand, you know, that 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 uh, disease is, is still going on. It's still bad, but good is persevering. So there's so I think it has to do with the way the male uh, frontal lobe develops. um the sense of good, the sense of conscience, the sense of character, uh, moral development. I think that's a lot of what's going on here. And I think males need it more than females, quote unquote. Um, everyone needs to develop conscience, but females already utilize their frontal lobe. They're already in the part of the brain that um, co corrects negative impulses, that self-regulates, etc. They're already in that part of the brain even before they're born. We, can, we see the scans, the brain scans of fetuses, and we see how much more of the frontal lobe, the female brain's already connecting than the male. So um, I think that's what males are doing. I think the male brain is doing that through all of this. Can it go bad? Can guys overdo it sometimes? Yes. Sure. But in general, I think that's what's happening. When my son was a teenager, uh, World Wrestling Federation was the big deal. And he and his buddies would get together every Monday night. They'd watch these wrestling things. And, and you know, they're all just so choreographed. And, yeah, and, but right. they loved them. And, uh, and I, they came to town. And so I, I took my son and, you know, thousands of people crammed into these auditoriums, mostly men, mostly boys, dads, some girls, but mostly male. And, um, you know, I, I never quite got it, although I thought the spectacle was amazing. And then um, we had uh, a pro wrestler, former pro wrestler, come to our church, and um, he said, "Well, these are just—they're male soap operas. These are stories of good and evil, and uh, mm -hmm. the bad guys are booed, 
The good mm-hmm. guys are cheered. Sometimes the bad guys become good guys. The good guys become bad guys. And it, it's all just sort of the, I think as you were talking about how guys tend to have these darker themes for, for building uh, their conscience, it seems to me that's what wrestling was about in a way, was these guys, you know, just saying, here's what's good, here's what's evil. We fight it to fight for the good. And sometimes we're a mixture of both. So the male imagination is a, yeah. is a bit unique. Yeah, I, it's so great you gave that example because that's such a neat way of showing folks how it starts in testosterone, right? Yep, I mean, yep. it's definitely a testosterone. That's a testosterone-based environment. And people who are attracted to it are going to have higher testosterone because that's what it stimulates. Um, and then and then you just beautifully put what the under the underpinning of it is also brain. It's also doing something to the brain. And everything our kids go through is that. It's a combination of biochemistry and brain. And then, of course, we know it as human or we know it as as larger than just biochemistry and an organ. But it is those things. And it viscerally attracts guys because it viscerally attracts the testosterone and it viscerally attracts the way their brains are developing. And I, I you know, I look at wrestling and I know people talk about how it's got some bad aspects to it hypermasculinity these sorts of things I think that's all fair to say sure but I'm glad you've pointed out um how, what it's also doing you know mm-hmm. it's 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 a both and it's not like 100% great 100% right. bad <laughs> yeah right right well boy we've covered a lot of stuff today and uh hopefully out of that there's whatever it was that you were as a person uh, listener were uh, engaged with was helpful for you um, uh, we do want to mention again, because it's coming up soon, October 1st, Helping Boys Thrive, helpingboysthrive.org. And uh, we've got this great uh, cast of characters, so to speak, who are going to be speaking, some good speakers. And uh, we're going to talk about all things boys for the day. And again, if you can't join us for the whole day, maybe part of it, or you can't join us that particular day, you have a week to view all of the uh, the different sessions. And um, we'd love to have you be a part of that. I know we've got some people from New Zealand signed up and other places. So because it's a teleconference, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. You can view it and experience it. So helpingboysthrive.org is where to find that. And then wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com with uh, more stuff, a place for you to submit your questions uh, because we do take questions from there. And if you'd like to join our Facebook page, you can do that. Just go to, uh, just do the little search for Wonder of Parenting and join the group. We'd love to have you. Michael, this has been great. I appreciate it. Thanks so much again for mm. your time. Oh, thank you. You asked great questions. Thanks. And uh, we're going to get back at it again next time, episode number 108. And uh, I know you're going to enjoy that one as well. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>